I'm uh, Don Thompson. I run Global Health Outreach for the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, and I thank both of you for showing up today. Um, the two questions that you asked me were, why do we send fifty to $75,000 worth of people overseas for a week to two to have little, little impact? You could just send that money. And the other person asked me, um, just train people, train nationals where you are, because they can do a much better job than your than your uh, team of untrained Westerners who are, who are uh, barely able to say a word or two in our language. So I'm going to talk about uh, long-term impact from short-term teams. Now, long-term impact means some kind of change, some kind of long-term change that's going to take place from a particular interaction. If you're in the community development business, this is uh, often called capacity building or capacity development or lots of different words, but capacity development is one of them. It usually means there's a good change that's left behind by your interaction. Uh, some kind of new capacity has been, has been uh, delivered. This may be um, clean water. This may be improved sanitation. It may be education and nutrition in, in uh uh, maternal and child care, health education, other aspects of health education, many other areas in the, in the uh, health care, in the community development side of things. In the spiritual setting, in the spiritual side of things, which is, after all, why we are, um, uh, why we're here, it, it could mean training in disciple making. I kind of read somewhere that that's important. It could mean evangelism. That's certainly part of disciple making. It could mean church planting, which is, Part of disciple making. Sorry, I occupy a certain amount of visual space, so thank you for thank you for moving over. Um, it uh, also includes de- uh, this could also include disciple making on your team. Since you, I'm talking about teams. You may not be thinking about teams. You may be thinking about individuals, but we're talking about short-term healthcare teams. So I'm going to certainly include that in the discussion. In the program management side. If you're working long-term, doing long-term community development, program management certainly comes up. So that has to do with planning and budgeting and expensing and other kinds of uh, priority setting and program management activities. So, so lots of different areas where there could be long-term impact. We have a partner in Ethiopia uh, that's actually two partners. And our Ethiopia has laws that require non-governmental organizations to pick a category. And our two partners there, one of them is a, is a faith-based. They're both faith-based, but that's beside the point. One of them has said, we are doing spiritual work. We're doing evangelism. We're doing church planning. We're doing pastor training. Uh, that's our ticket. So I am, a, I am a card-carrying evangelist when I am with this group. But the other side of the other uh, partner is doing sustainable development. They're doing... They're doing education. They're doing sustainable agriculture. They're doing different things that don't come out. They don't have that spiritual stamp on their, on their ID card. They just happen to both be from the same organization here in the United States that you've heard of that's got a rather large headquarters in, in uh, Orlando, Florida. They've been uh, – they both uh, – the, the, the guy on the sustainable development side came from the spiritual side. We work with both of them because they are, are both an integral part of, uh, of the, uh, the reason we're, we're doing things. 
but our our long-term impact includes doing our short-term teams working with them on pastors conferences on shorter shorter term training of pastors it includes enhancing the capabilities and the credibility of both partners to work in some remote villages where they're doing the sustainable development we some of the longer term impacts that we have with them include enhancing their credibility and their interaction with local medical systems improve cooperation with other like-minded churches in the area and then provides uh, church planning opportunities from contacts that are made and needs that are identified so so all of those are some long-term impacts that we that we see in this particular partnership now the challenges that we have when we go if we're going to go and look at having a long-term impact is we've got to be careful we have to be careful about imposing our western expectations when on the environment where we go what do what are my western expectations uh, include well one is what we're doing right now that's didactic training that means i talk you listen you hopefully stay awake but that that's you can always listen to the to the uh, tape afterwards so ta- staying awake isn't even important but didactic training is one linear thinking is another i do this and then i do this and then i do this and then i do this and a lot of the places we we work there's a lot of circular thinking cost benefit analyses are are very important to us and not nearly as important in some other settings and then return on investment that's the question that you guys asked me right up front was why don't you just send that 50,000 or 100,000 or $150,000 over it'll be a whole lot more useful those are all things that i ask from my perspective but i've got to be very careful to impose those where we go cuz i go to places where relationships are paramount circular thinking and reasoning i use that word a little bit loosely from my western blinders where those are routine and then commitments have very different implications so it's vitally important before you get engaged in this kind of work to have a, a solid grasp on your own biases if you don't think you're biased let me tell you you are biased <laughs> and you have incomplete knowledge that's very hard for some of us to acknowledge but you just might not know everything there is to know about a certain subject and you're biased so that means a certain humility is necessary when you go in the door you need to have a solid grasp on the biases and the expectations and the fears and the constraints of the people who are working in the location and the people group where you're where you're hoping to work and you will never have that so you need to have a solid grasp but you won't have that solid grasp so that requires even more more humility all, what you really need to help with closing that particular gap is uh methods and mechanisms to navigate those differences cuz here you are and here they are and how do you close that gap you you don't always close it you need to you need to relish that difference and you still need to uh, you need to understand that difference negotiate the difference as much as you can but be comfortable with those differences relish them depend on the lord's sovereign guidance to work out his purpose in you and in your national partners and with those you're serving you will see the lord working in wonderful ways especially when you step back and said this just doesn't make sense and it doesn't because god's doing it god does make sense believe me but but a day is like a thousand years so if you don't 
you're probably not going to have the positive impact that you seek, and you're going to leave, you may leave, conditions worse off than when you arrive. The chances are pretty good that you'll be able to leave, but the, the, uh, your national partner you leave behind may not be left off so well. They may end up in prison. They may end up without their head. They may end up having their, having their visa not renewed. That's a nice outcome for them um, of those three choices. Uh, but but uh, you can certainly leave conditions worse off. You'll certainly not have a fulfilling time. So the gap between expectations and the actual cultural setting on the ground is a major contributor, if not the major contributor, to early return of those who seek to work long-term in different cultural settings, especially particularly healthcare workers. If you can successfully navigate these cultural differences, then you'll you're be much more able to build long-term capacity. So I am taking the stance that it is possible for short-term teams to have to contribute to a long-term impact. Actually, I'm going to go a little bit stronger, and that is that short-term teams regularly have a long-term impact when they are done well. And this requires planning. This requires experience. And so let's unpack some of these uh, important areas that really need attention, and we're going to look at some of the foundational principles behind what we should be doing. So uh, recall the impact in our context. Remember the long-term impact in our context of what we're doing. We're going over to do some kind of healthcare work. It involves change that's based on an interaction. Our goal and missions is to carry out the Great Commission, and that Great Commission is to make disciples. That's making disciples by going, by going across borders, by by going uh, across cultural borders, geographic borders, socioeconomic borders, faith tradition borders, by baptizing, which means evangelizing and initial training in the good news. It means taking people to the commitment of publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ. And by teaching, by teaching people to observe all things. So that's a lot of growth in spiritual life and, doc and doctrine. Some of us aren't there yet ourselves. I'm not there yet, but it's a, big, uh, it's, a big, it's a big list. It's an important list. Now, the long-term impact for, for re responding to this great commission is to make disciples. Actually, I'm going to take that a little bit farther, is making disciple makers. So, so um, that means disi making disciple makers within our short-term teams and within our national partners and with the people whom we work, which is often done via our national partners. What's the foundation behind this? Well, I'm just going to pick the uh, first chapter of Romans. The uh, desired change um, Paul brings out is uh, glorifying God by unashamed sharing of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, a revelation of God's righteousness, and then contextualizing that appropriately to build bridges so that you can communicate this gospel well. The undesirable change is not glorifying God. It's glorifying self. It's uh, developing dependence. A uh, contextual, I want a, a little example of contextualizing 
in a group that is is not used to reading Romans 1 or Romans 3 or Romans 5 or Romans 6 or John 3 or lots of other verses that you guys, uh, many of you have been exposed to, um, took place in the same site in Ethiopia a while back. Um, we were there on a, uh, in a small village in southern Ethiopia and on the border of Kenya for two weeks, uh, 50% animistic, 50% Muslim. And at the end of our two-week trip, our, our, uh, the village leaders wanted to have a – they wanted to bless us. They, they slaughtered the fatted calf. Actually, it was a scrawny lamb. But we, we finished eating the, the, uh, the meal that they prepared for us, had a little bit of a – had a little roasted coffee back in our pharmacy, and, and then they wanted to bless us. They wanted to come in and bless us. And, and I said, well, let's do this out on the porch so that I can bless them also. And so we moved out onto the porch, and you can see about a third of the folks that are, are uh, sitting around. This is, this is the number one village leader sitting here, and he's uh, – He's uh, Borona, the animistic tribal religion, and the guy on his left is is a follower of Islam. You can tell from his from his dress. And they uh, they began with uh, their coffee ceremony, which involved this uh, this wizened little old lady who was sitting on that little chair that you can see a leg of on the on the left, and she had this iron pot, like a soup cauldron of. Uh, of coffee beans that were not roasted, they weren't cooked. They were, they were, they had just been uh, uh, marinating in water for a few days. And and the way they did this coffee ceremony is she would take it to the village leader. She started with with the the guy there, and he would have a ladle and then he would pick up the the coffee and water and coffee beans and water and just be pouring it back in. Everybody else would be would have their their hands out, which is their their attitude of prayer. And they would be chanting different things, and it was translated to us that he's, they're blessing the ground for, for the coffee, they're blessing uh, the ground, they're blessing the weather, they're blessing the rain, they're blessing you, they're blessing your families, they're blessing your travel back. Um, and she went around from person to person on her knees, and the different elders would do this. And um, when, when we were watching this, I was looking for an opportunity on contextualizing in why we were there um, to have a little bit more of a long-term impact on the spiritual side. And, um, and I saw that pot of coffee, and, and so when it was my turn, because, uh, again, I had, we had earned the right to be able to talk to them about pretty personal things, and, and um, I started talking and, and thanked them very much for for uh, allowing us to come into their village, to entrusting us to see their people, and talked about um, how we are all followers of different religions. I said, some of you are followers of Bordona, some of you are followers of Islam, some of you are followers of the Orthodox Church, some of you, like us, are followers of Isa al-Masih, of Jesus the Messiah, and different people are nodding. And, and I said, and all of, our, all of our faith traditions are very similar in that we are seeking some kind of, of uh, release, some kind of forgiveness for our sins, because we know that God is a righteous God and he is a holy God and that he punishes sin and he cannot tolerate any sin and that at the end of our lives, judgment will come. And we all know that. 
And there was, a, there was some reluctant nodding, a little bit of painful nodding, but some nodding around the table. And I said, now, the challenge is we come into that chasm of our sin, and we can't be in relationship with God because of that chasm. And we don't know if we're going to make it, if we're going to be forgiven of our sins. And I said, now, your ceremony just pointed out to me several things. One is you value very much experience and age. And I put my hand on the little old lady. I think I had to bend down to put my hand on her shoulder. And I said, you really value experience and, and you treasure experience and age. And you're, you have great responsibility because you are the one to make the decision for your entire community based on your wisdom. And, and I said, what I was reminded of when I saw your ceremony was the sacrifice that has been made to bridge that gap. And I talked about the Last Supper. I talked about how Isal Masi held a cup on the night before he was sacrificed. And his blood was poured out, just like that coffee was, was poured out. His blood was poured out for, for all of our sins, for forgiveness for all of our sins, so that we may know that we have forgiveness and that that gift has come freely. And I, I uh, talked about us coming, uh, talked about us coming a long ways. I talked about um, the arrangement that uh, that that um, God had made because He loves us so much. And and of course the the elder jumped up with his with his stick. He jumped up right in my face um, before I had said all the other things that I just told you. And and um, and I was talking about our, the medications that we brought, how we wanted to work out this gift of hope and compassion that God provides to them and to all of us through Jesus Christ. And he, we had just been churning and burning the day before because, you know, the line outside was a mile long, and, and he was one of about 40 people who came through, and he saw me. And I, I, gave him, I gave him some vitamins, and I gave him some ibuprofen for his aches and pains. And, and, and he said, I, I, took your, I took that red pill this morning, and I am all better. And the red, and the red pill was a, was a vitamin pill. And, I didn't, I didn't bother to say anything more. I just listened. But then, but then I told the story about, uh, about Christ pouring out his blood. And I said, every time I have coffee, I'm going – actually, I said, every time you have coffee, I want you to be reminded of this. And I want you to think about this. And I want you to ask God to reveal his truth to you. And every time I drink coffee, I am going to remember you and I am going to pray for you that God will reveal his truth to you and that you will, you will uh, understand and receive that free gift that he has given. So, so that, was some, that was the a way of contextualizing in a long-term, with hopefully long-term benefit, something that if I had read the Four Spiritual Laws or the Romans Road, probably wouldn't have gotten there. But I like coffee. Rachel was praying in the back row, and, um, and God, set, God made the setting just right so that we were able to go through that. Um, so target groups for, for uh, your short-term health care missions are multiple. I've mentioned, uh, I've mentioned most of them. There's the team members. There are patients. There are the national team, your national partners. There are the national churches with which you work. And then there are people who support, the people who are senders back from home. So I'm going to unpack these 
I'm going to unpack three main groups. I'm going to talk about team members. I'm going to talk about that for a little bit longer because if you've got your teams pretty well organized, if you've got the team part down, you can go into a lot of different areas and have quite a bit of impact. Um, national partners, national team is also a very important part. I'll, be, I'll talk about that a fair amount. And then, and then uh, uh, a bit about patients. The, the uh, challenge with your teams, uh, it's uh, great fun and it's a great challenge. The, the impact that a short-term team can have on the team members can be phenomenal. It's very transformative. We seek it to be transformative. It can be, um, Robert Priest mentioned in uh, Christianity Today a few years ago, we talked about how a, a short-term missions trip can function as a, as a sustained communal, communal time of spiritual formation away from all the distractions and obligations of home. This gets harder as Wi-Fi is more and more prevalent. We haven't gone to confiscating iPhones yet, but, but there's, still, there's still some significant time of spiritual formation. One of the reasons is your focus on these teams is service. It's other-oriented. It's witness. It's human need, not your own. And then it's relationships with social others, people that you wouldn't necessarily interact with at home. And, that, and these, these areas are all at the center of your spiritual formation efforts. Another area of focus is on your team, on healthcare teams, is that you're really able to talk about and work out professionalism in your healthcare career. Aspects of, of your practice will be tested in ways that, uh, that wouldn't be tested at home. You don't have to worry about HIPAA. You don't have to worry about, about reimbursements. But you really do have to worry about, is it appropriate for me to be giving somebody an a, a oral hypoglycemic agent that's gonna, that could potentially bottom out their blood sugar when they don't really understand what those sensations are that they're having when they do bottom out? If you can't rely on them to take medication for a full 10 days, a course of antibiotics, because they're better after three days, is it appropriate to give them 10 days worth or, or even three days worth. You're going to be, you're going to be tested in, in asking yourself questions and some of those things that you're just not having to do at home. There's a real commitment to serve. Now, you can serve domestically, and that's great, and, and you should, but the international service that can come from this is, is absolutely huge. You have opportunities to mentor others, to be mentored by others, on, on uh, short-term healthcare teams. Then you can demonstrate unity with those from other backgrounds. We, we work with, uh, we, we take folks from the evangelical Protestant backgrounds on our teams with global health outreach. That umbrella is pretty wide. We have some interesting discussions at times and we focus on what's really the primary focus. Um, we can always talk about that at, at a meal on, on some of the fun things that happen. But the, the ability to demonstrate unity with people from other backgrounds is, is absolutely huge. The things that are more likely to cause conflict on your team are not me mechanisms of baptism or transubstantiation or something like that. It's much, much more likely to be personality differences. It's more likely to be um, squabbles that are just 
common in your home practice. I, uh, I wish that weren't the case, but that's what drives people home early, long-term, long-termers home early, and, and uh, can certainly cause a lot of challenges on short-term teams. It's more of a challenge than kidnapping, than bombings, than security, and, and for us even customs problems. It's crucial to walk before Christ in humility. As a little, uh, a little aside, a reading assignment, should you want to explore this in more detail, Look at these nine different types of personalities that are unpacked by uh, Gary Thomas. Um, I'm one of these. I'm maybe a little bit of a second one of these. I can't stand some of these, but I'm going to have all nine of these on my teams, and I've got to learn to work with them. I'm married to somebody who is not identical to me. I know that's a shocker for some of you. Is anybody married to somebody who's identical to them? Okay, good. You almost raised your hand, but he hit you quick enough. Just the opposite, right? So, so um, learning to work with people, yeah, he's opposite from you too, isn't he? Boy, is he. Um, yeah, I know. Your, your way of doing this is best. Look at the temptations that come with this, this list. This is just the first five, the first slide. Um, and, and if you get the book, and I'll give you the name in a sec, if you get the book, then, then it'll start linking these up with the particular personality type. So it's a good way to prepare. I know uh, my, my son-in-law does discipleship training, and this is one of the books that they require for people to read right off the bat because you've got to see your strengths and your vulnerabilities and then the strengths and vulnerabilities of the people that you're picking a fight with because they're different. So it's called Sacred Pathways, and the, uh, the subtitle is Thou Shalt Not Cover, Covet Thy Neighbor's Spiritual Walk. So uh, I highly recommend that. Um, so let's see if I could see a little bit more here. So team building is crucial because a, uh, a dysfunctional team or a team that has one or two bad apples, openly bad apples, can really negate just about everything, all the positive work that, that could possibly be done. Team building, um, I, I've done hour-long talks on team building in the past, and if you're interested, we can, I can point you to some, right, some good, uh, um, good resources, but you, you basically want to set your expectations early. You want to, uh, and, and the uh, spiritual focus is crucial because if you don't have a spiritual focus, it makes you a little different or even worse because of hypocrisy than some of the secular groups that are in it for themselves. So you want to set your expectations early of your team members. You want to get together as, as uh, much as you can. We do our getting together usually electronically because our, our teams are built from all over North America. Uh, you want to share experiences, you want to share needs, you want to pray together often, you want to teach, you want to maintain those expectations during, during your, uh, your preparation. You want to set expectations early of actions that are above reproach. That's going to be more and more of a challenge these days with the way that our, our culture is lurching to... Gomorrah, is that what somebody wrote, Chuck Colson or somebody wrote a few years back? You want to, we are overly conservative and overly cautious. We've had uh, 
I had a month about a year ago on three of our teams in three different countries that we just called sexcapade month because of the challenges that we had all having to do with sex on, on, uh, on three teams in three different countries. They're all handled fairly well. Um, but but um, be prepared for those, address them early and often. Be prepared to send people home if necessary. Just set those expectations. And then, and then plan for reentry. Planning for reentry is very important because the change back can be as dramatic, if not more so, that the change, than the change in going over. We see from our teams, we see numerous examples of healthcare workers who have never presented the gospel in their, to their patients. They've never prayed with their patients at home. But then they've, they've learned to do this, and they've been empowered to do this, and they've gotten experience doing this in a short-term setting and have come home and have it's just changed their practice because they have started to, to uh, pray. They've started to be sensitive to the opportunity to talk about spiritual issues and go into the soul issues and pray with uh, patients at home. So very, very, very important and very profound. Okay, the second big category is uh, our patients. The physical healing that we may often that we may offer is often only short term. If you're a dentist, it's a little bit more. If you're a surgeon, it's a whole lot more. But but the physical healing is just short term. However, you can get to heart and soul issues in about 30 seconds if you're in medicine and you're, you have somebody who's coming in to talk about issues that are really causing fear, for instance. If somebody says they're scared of something, that's a sign for you to go and explore that fear and then talk about relief from fear. And I don't mean epinephrine for somebody's anaphylaxis is relief from fear. I mean the great physician. Now, getting to the heart and soul issues often requires someone who can, who, who can understand the language, who can speak the language, who understands the culture. That may be you. It may be your national partner. It may be a combination where you tag team that. You offer hope in everlasting healing. It may not be on this earth. You've got to be very clear that you're not promising somebody instant instant healing, physical healing from, uh, from spending a little bit of time with you or praying with you, uh, but you are, you can, you're offering the compassion of the great physician. You're living out that compassion. You're living out the gospel. You're revealing God's righteousness. And, of course, that sometimes goes, to, depending on your culture, it goes to salvation. It goes to people accepting the power of the gospel. I was in a couple of uh, settings recently where where talking about uh, um, Jesus the Messiah is somewhat risky. And uh, at the same time, in this particular country, there are two million new atheists from, from Muslim backgrounds in the last two years because of disgust with the activities of the Muslim Brotherhood in this country. Two million new atheists. They've totally sworn off anything having to do with Islam. Now, they're not Christians because in that same country, Christian means Orthodox, means Coptic, just as dead, not as violent, but, but 
still dead as far as as living out the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Um, what a target audience. What an opportunity. People were incredibly open to being prayed with in the name of Jesus the Messiah. Many Syrian refugees were were in, in this country and were desperate to hear of hope because they had lost so much. Some people you'll, you'll interact um, have had a relationship with Christ in the past, and so, so you can bring them restoration. And then discipleship and encouragement to, uh, to walk with the Lord. So all of these are links in the chain. You know, again, you don't define success. There I am in my Western way of, of imposing uh, success or imposing a cost-benefit analysis of somebody praying to receive Christ. That's, that's my Western way. There are lots of links in the chain that the, the Holy Spirit is drawing. God's doing that drawing. Read John, John 6, John 4. God is doing that drawing, and he's using us. He's using you and your healthcare skills to do that drawing. And you be a link in that chain, and, uh, and that is what our goal is. We saw an example of this uh, recently in a certain country in uh, Southeast Asia where we've been going for about six years and our team has been working with um, a couple of national docs where the, the one doc for one week and the other for another week because they're both just so busy in their day jobs. And, and we've been cajoling them through the team leader. We've been cajoling them to have more national gospel workers involved and uh, more na- national church people involved. Our goal is to build, to build the church, to, to train nationals, as I've, as I've already mentioned. And for three or four years, you know, it, it just wasn't that important to, to, the, to our national partners. But finally, in the fifth year, uh, they had a, a, a couple of people showed up. And um, one lady had a, had a megaphone and was a little bit loud and kind of abrupt and in your face and uh, and then she had a guy with her and they were they were talking to people and and our team would um, would see they were there for two weeks and so eight or nine clinic days and and they would have at the end of the two weeks maybe they they'd pray with a lot of people they by invitation they got invited to set up clinics two days and two different Buddhist pagodas by Buddhist monks which I think is a great is a great thing they had a, uh, a Buddhist monk publicly declare that he would be a uh, publicly declare belief in Christ in in uh, one of these settings. So it's not that there was no that there were no links in the chain. There, there clearly were links in the chain. Um, but the we, and we'd see typically maybe 50, 60 people come to Christ over over that two week period from all the different patients that were seen, and that's great. And then this this. Uh, this team uh, a year and a half ago where these two, the two national gospel workers showed up at the end of the week when they collected numbers, it, it was about 60 people from the team. And then it was 500 more from the, the gospel workers reported. So that was 560. That's a little bit different. And um, so the team leader was certainly encouraged by that. And he, he certainly interacted a lot more with the, with the national partners. And then the next year, 
Those two people showed up, but 13 more nationals showed up, and the team was completely redirected at the last minute to a province in the north that had been part of the killing fields. Now I've just given away where we are. And and a very closed place. There were only four churches in the entire province. And uh, now we had 15 national gospel workers. Um, a couple uh, were evangelizing, and people were, the nationals were praying with patients after they were after they were seen. Um, and um, the team leader had spontaneously, well, it seemed that way. He had planned this, but he hadn't brought it up to the national partner and until they landed, they were going to have a little pastor training conference the second week. And so he was off at that the second week and got a phone call from someone because they were getting reports back of 250, 300 people coming to Christ every day. And this was now the seventh day. And you add up those numbers, you know, all of our Western red flags start popping up. And somebody said, oh, come on, this can't be real. I mean, maybe it's like going to an auction where you scratch your head and then you end up buying the barn or something. And and so he he called back and there was a, uh, a national dentist that was part of the team. He had started coming along as a translator when he was a dental student. He came to Christ after about three years because he translated the gospel so many times. And he graduated and so he's now a dentist and he was on the team. So he was he was bilingual and and the team leader called him had him go sit in on the on the presentation to make sure that nothing squirrely was going on. Isn't it terrible to have to do that? Um, and he and he reported back that that he is the evangelist is saying, God can forgive your sins and God can heal your diseases. I find that written in the scripture. I just look at Psalm 103 and it's there. In the first four verses, you don't have to read a whole lot between the lines. It's there. It's can. And, um, and that night, the team leader held court in his hotel room. He said, anybody who wants to come and talk about this can come in. And a couple of people came in and said, this, this just can't happen. I, know, I, don't, I don't know anybody who, who could believe that just by having faith that you're going to be healed of all your physical problems. And the team leader said, yes, you do. And this person looked at him, and he said, there are four people on this team who believe that way. And the person was a little bit taken aback. Um, the next day was the last clinic day, and the, and the team leader sat in on this, this presentation. That's the evangelist standing up there. And he wrote down, he had the national partner sitting next to him translating, and he wrote down the 19 scripture verses that the guy talked through in an hour. And the first 14 were exactly what you would use if you were talking to your neighbor. You know, very Western, very four spiritual laws, Roman roads kind of stuff. I wouldn't think that's the way you'd talk in this kind of setting. But I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not an evangelist in this setting. The, the uh, evangelists who were there were just overwhelmed at how open people were. Within, they said within 10 minutes of talking, People were just laser focused on everything that they were saying. And, and uh, at the end of the week, 1,916 people came to the Lord. That's half of the patients that were seen. Um, that may ha- that's, that's never happened before. The evangelist team were just overwhelmed at that. It may never happen again. But 
Peter probably didn't pat himself on the back on Pentecost for those 3,000 people that came to the Lord. That was obviously an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This stuff can happen. This stuff does happen. It did happen. It's written in Acts. It does happen today. And don't ask me to explain why in more detail than I just did. So it may be that our job is to just set up an environment to, to create a setting where an interaction can take place between, between evangelists, between national evangelists. The guys, the, the pastors who were there said, can we have a pastor's conference next year when your team comes? And team leader said, yes, what do you want me to teach? And they said, nothing. We just want to have a conference. You don't have to be involved in it at all. We're not allowed to have a conference. We're not allowed to have evangelistic conferences. We're not allowed to have pastor's conferences. But we're allowed to have healthcare outreaches. And we can have any kind of training we want in association with that. So, so there's going to be a, a bigger, last time it was 13 pastors, and next, next time it's probably going to be 80 pastors because of this. So if you're not willing to be used that way, then um, you might read Malachi 1 and see how God might challenge you to, to be open to how he's leading you. Um, I'm thrilled to be used as, as the card up the sleeve of our church planters, especially, especially frontier church planters who cannot get into a different setting. Okay, so, that, so the, the two people in here who challenged me with those questions, just send the money that you'd spend. I mean, it costs to send 15, eight, 16 people to this setting probably cost $100,000. Just send them $100,000 and they can use it more effectively. Send it to the long-term folks. Well, I was in, in uh, a very large island nation uh, south of this that's shaped like this that has the largest population of Muslims in the world three weeks ago, and they said, no, don't send us the money. We couldn't use that. We could not get the access to new people groups if, with just that money that we can get from having you here. In this case, it was one day. You send us a team because you open so many doors that we can get into new people groups. We can get into new settings. We get invitations like you would not believe. I was there doing some uh, essentially, I guess what you'd call consulting on, on building a bigger, uh, taking a 20-bed mental health hospital up to a 100-bed mental health hospital. My brother's a psychologist, and I'm a, I'm a family practice doc, and they were looking for some help on expanding this this facility, and, and if you do mental health in the U.S., it doesn't really transplant very well anywhere else in the world. I'm not sure it transplants well within the United States. And, and um, this, this uh, ministry, their, their uh, covert job, they've got a church planning school, and they're sending church planners out all over the particular part of this island, of this huge island from which you get a lot of your coffee. And... And they, um, they have a mental health rehab center on the grounds, and that's their overt um, ministry. When the government or church leaders or somebody comes out and says, so what are you guys doing out here? They don't see a church. They, show, they take them behind the 12-foot wall that's locked, and they show them the it – frankly, it looks like a cell block where, where they've got – 19 
patients who have been neglected. Some of them are narcotics abusers. Some of them have severe behavioral problems. Several of them have developmental disorders. And, and they show them that. And, and uh, especially since one of those patients was a, the nephew of a, a senior village or a senior uh, political leader in that area, and he has re- been restored to normal, to normal life, um, nobody there had any training in anything having to do with mental health. They had one pastoral counselor who came through once a week and prayed with patients um, for half an hour, 45 minutes, spoke the truth from God's word into their life. In three years, 15 people had gone back to normal life. 15 people had completely recovered from their, from their issues. And they're going to take that up to from, from uh, 20 to 100. So we, we went there and and, oh, by the way, can you, can you go out and visit some of the villages where we're doing church planning and see the kids in the, in the, in the uh, schools and, you know, deworm them, hand out vitamins, and it turned out to be a lot more than that. But, but it, was, it was rustic. It was remote. It was a three-day road trip. We visited six or eight villages, and, and uh, one of the villages we visited, a very, very remote primitive village, as they'd call it. Uh, women were still topless. Men were wearing a cup, and that was about it. And we were in my brother and I, who was my, my brother was the other guy who came along on this. He's a he's a clinical psychologist, a, a child psychologist, who's got a little bit more cross cultural um, experience from working in the Chicago inner city than than most. And um, he and I had ridden ambulances in in high school together and fought constantly a few years before that. And while we were in one of these villages, they said, hey, can you see this guy? He's got a fractured tib-fib from, from a motorcycle accident yesterday. He's on his bed in his hut. And so we crawled in the, in the window in a very, very dark hut. And, and uh, fortunately, it was closed. It was not malaligned. And we built a splint out of, uh, out of uh, rubber tree bark on one side and bamboo shoots on the other. And somebody found a taekwondo a wrap that we used to to tie it up, and while we were inside splinting this guy's leg, the village leader and the next guy up in the government and the next guy up in the government were all outside talking to our national partner, inviting them into four other villages that they could not get into before, just because we put on a splint on some guy. So I'm more than willing to be used that way. They could not have gotten that access by going in there. Now, if they had a medical person who went in there, maybe they could have gotten that. But part two was just send, just do projects that train and motivate nationals to provide this care to their own people. Well, I was told distinctly by this guy, by the main guy that we're working with on this island, no. If we have one of our own docs come out, people won't come to see him because they're coming to see you because you're from America. That bothers me because of my individualism and my fear of paternalism and all that, but it's the reality on the ground. And if I have to humble myself and allow myself to be exalted in that setting so that they can have more access to hearing the gospel, then I'll do that. So it's a different strategy Longer-term commitment when you're uh, when you're training nationals, it's it's definitely something that's necessary. But I I'm uh, realizing more and more that there are different goals for people who serve. There are different goals for 
for, uh, you know, some people serve by teaching, some people serve by doing clinical work, some people serve by, by doing long-term developmental work, some people serve by, by just going uh, for short-term. Let's see, I think I covered that. The, the bottom line is that there are multiple needs and there are multiple givings, giftings, and the field's big enough for all of us. We need long-termers and we need short-termers, and we need people to do clinical work, and we need people to do academic work and development work, and we need people to do, to do uh, educational work. Uh, the common goal needs to be to build the kingdom. We have to always keep the focus on building the kingdom. Our goal, and, and a way that we do that, is by opening doors into new people groups. That's the long-term impact that we can have on short-term teams, is opening the door into new people groups, into new areas for ministry. And the thing that's most exciting about the way I think that this can be done is by partnering with frontier church planning movements. The long-term teams, as I've mentioned, they'll focus on health education. They'll focus on other aspects of education. One of our national partners in a, in a country has schools for street kids, gets the kids off the street. Their dads are on drugs or have been killed in the 30 years of war. Moms are, are, are home or, or are also begging on the streets. So their ministry is to have is to provide primary education and moving into secondary education for kids. Other, other long-termers will focus on clean water. Others will focus on sanitation, health education. I mentioned the example in Ethiopia where sustainable agriculture is a huge, and a huge one. I've mentioned the mental health care. Discipling, though, needs to be an essential part of all these efforts, though the speed of discipling within, that, within the national setting varies greatly with culture, with how open the culture is to talking about spiritual things, um, and and uh, or or if it's really closed, there are some great books that to to uh, pursue on that. Um, which is the name I can use? Charles Fielding wrote the book Preach and Heal. Um, he he's got some great tactics in there that have to do with healthcare. And and I uh, was in a closed country last week, and they were really focusing on that to see how they could do that. So. Charles Fielding, his real name is something different, but Charles Fielding is the name he uses, preach and heal. And then the short-term team, can, as we did in, in this uh, example, we can provide ideas, we can provide strategies, we can provide consulting, access to, to experts in, in uh, various things. We can, we can deliver very valuable health care where care is absent because disease treatment, I'm a public health guy. I know how important prevention is, but disease treatment is what brings people in to see me. It's the acute needs. It's not me thinking of walking four miles or four hours or four days because I want to learn about germ theory or washing my hands. It's the bleeding, the the rectal bleeding that I've had for two months that's going to drive me to do that or the vomiting of blood that I had yesterday, or the worms that I'm passing. It's that acute disease treatment. So, so uh, the acute need is what really gets, gets people in. You can do this. See, I think I've talked about this. You can do this. It's not rocket science, but it's not fast, and it's not quick. 
and it's not easy. So if you're new at this, you need to prepare. You need to prepare responsibly. You need to read. If you're uh, between 20 and 35 or so, you need to be reading a lot. You need to get experienced. If you're old like me, you've got more time to read. You just sleep a lot more while you're doing it. Um, you need to you need to get experience under the mentorship and guidance of someone who's doing it well, or at least is doing part of it well. You may need to visit a number of different people to get the full monty of of, uh, of of it. Work in easy areas first. Find geographic areas that are a little bit easier. Find cultural areas that are a little bit easier. Focus areas that are a little bit easier. They're hard ones. I can take you on some of the hard ones, but I would not recommend that right out of the chute. You need to learn to share your faith. You need to learn to share your faith in your own cultural contexts and in other cultural contexts. You need to be able to lead people to the cross. Are you comfortable at the foot of the cross? So don't, my, my caution is to don't dive in and start going on your own short-term trips without learning how to do it. Don't start your own organization. Please. I work with some of those. Questions, comments, criticisms? Sir. I think it's hugely valuable to train long-termers, to train both long-term expats and long-term nationals to do health care because there is a the, – the long-term role – I mean, if I go in and, and treat somebody for diabetes or hypertension on a short-term team, I consider that unethical to, because I can't manage them from my office in Tennessee long-term. But they may need some lab work. They certainly need some, some uh, local follow-up. The question, the question was, does my organization do the, the paramedical training, the, the longer-term training? The short answer is no. The, the need is there, and there are some people who are doing that. The need is there. And I'll go back to my – well, I won't go back to it, but the slide that says the, the, uh, wheel, the fields are white with harvest. There's a lot of room for a lot of people to do a lot of things, and that's a very important part. One last question from you and then others. This is one, is time, and this is my wallets and my backpack, time and resources. I focus on an organization that sends short-term trips, the short, send short-term teams. Walk through the exhibit hall, you'll see Chain Network, you'll see a bunch of people who are doing, who are doing um, you know, there's CCIH, there are a number of groups that are doing um, long-term development. There are a number of outstanding groups down there who are doing long-term development. Uh, it's too late to attend... Um, Mick Smith's wonderful talks on, on uh, cross-cultural communication because they were both this morning and yesterday. Um, but keep coming to the conference. My, my agenda's over there, but there, you can get out, outstanding training at a bunch of the workshops here on a lot of these, these things. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. What things do you treat that you consider useful on a short-term 
what things do we treat that I consider useful? We take a lot of antibiotics. I treat a lot of otitis. I treat, um, I, we deworm just about everybody under the age of 15 with uh, albendazole 400 once a year, 400 milligrams once a year, because that's been shown to, over time, decrease the worm burden significantly. We, I treat a lot of gastritis. I treat a lot of, I treat some H. pylori. You treated a fair amount of peptic ulcer disease, and just about everywhere we go. Um, in some cultures, I, I ask, do you smoke? I, sh- I shouldn't because some people say, oh, no, I'm a Christian. Or, of course I smoke. doesn't matter what sex. Everybody smokes or nobody smokes. But, but a lot of peptic ulcer disease. Um, uh, there are a lot of things that just pop up that I'm not really prepared for. A lot, I, a lot of, I mean, I've had people on my team come to me in frustration and say, so much of this stuff that we're seeing could just be taken care of with soap and water. Soap and, water. and I said, bingo. They don't have it. So what do you do? We treat a lot of scabies, treat a lot of chronic skin conditions, treat brucellosis, treat leishmaniasis, treat elephantiasis. Elephantitis is when your elephant is inflamed. Elephantiasis <laughs> is, is Bancroftian filariasis. I seem to be looking for a DEC everywhere we go for one patient every a year. Um, so those are, those are probably the big things. We have a standard formulary for 1,000 adults, 350 kids. That's kind of enough for, for a team of four or five docs for a week. That Because we have to take new meds in every, just about every country we go, they have to have 12 months out on their expiration date. That, one, that formulary costs about $4,300, which is too much. I try to buy stuff in country, buy joint venture pharmaceutical manufacturers, because usually the international company is providing the quality control and the stuff is decent. Um, what else is on that list? I, I'm treating a fair amount of STDs. Um, this may be a shocker, but guys sleep around. So I treat a lot of non-gonococcal urethritis in women simply on the basis of, of history and, you know, dyspronia and pelvic pain and a little bit of belly pain. Um, Pneumonia when we see it. And half people I don't treat because they don't need any treatment. They've got URIs. They need reassurance. They've got diarrhea. They need reassurance. They need clean water and hand washing, frankly. Other questions? Thank you so much.